Boy, that got quiet quickly in here. Good to have you here today, guys. Happy Fourth of July to you. We love talking about freedom in Christ for sure around here, and it's great to have you with us today. We continue on in our series called Echo. It was going to be my last hurrah as kind of the lunchtime dad at Terry Elementary in Little Rock, Arkansas. My kids joined a school for which they were in a real small minority. Little Rock, Arkansas, public schools, Terry Elementary, awesome experience for my kids to experience that. It was one of the most incredible years that our kids ever had, or a few years that they had in school, but we were just fixing to, little Arkansas lingo there for you, we were just fixing to move from Little Rock to Anchorage, Alaska, and we had one last hurrah, field day. I've been going out on recess on Fridays in particular, playing one team against another team in football, and the goal of the game was to get as many touchdowns scored as good because we had so many kids come down to play touch-slash-tackle football. Man, that bell ring, and here they'd come, flooding down. So I was a full-time quarterback on both teams, and my goal was to throw as many touchdown passes as I could to these kids. And my son told me one day, he says, Dad, you throw touchdowns to all the other kids but me. I said, I can throw touchdowns to you all day long. You're okay. And he's like, all right. But it came time for us to have field day, and they had a big discussion at a PTA level about this. Because I had big plans for this day. And the discussion was, well, we don't think we want to be giving away first, second, and third prizes around here. I'm like, why not? And they said, well, we, we think that we should celebrate everyone participating in this thing. And I'm like, no. Can't do that. No one likes participation awards. And everybody know, all the kids know, who's fastest, who can jump the highest. Plus, I looked at some of the parents on the PTA who looked a lot like me, and I said, your kid got awarded for a science project, and your kid got awarded for, and I went through the whole list of things. I said, no, we're giving away first, second, and third prizes. We're giving away ribbons, and we're going to build a podium for these kids. <laughs> One of my better moments as a pastor, I might add. <laughs> so we pulled off that day, and it was incredible. We had 50-yard dash and 50-meter uh, dash, 100-meter dash. We had long jump. We had shuttle races, we had high jump, we had everything. It was an epic field day. We had music out there pumping, YMCA. <laughs> I mean, it was an incredible day. And to be able to give those kids their awards was one of the great thrills of my life. But there was one young man that received an award, and he received it all alone, just with me and him. His name's Marvin. And he was so exceptional at everything and probably not the best student. I thought, man, this kid needs some affirmation, and boy, did I give it to him. I took him off to the side, and I'd saved a special gold medallion just for Marvin. I said, Marvin, come here, man. I said, tomorrow morning, I'm heading out 
And I might not see you again, but I need you to know something, Marvin. You get the best all-around athlete award, and I need you to know something, man. You are an incredible athlete. God made you to run. God made you to jump, and I'm so proud of you. And I put that gold medal on Marvin's neck, and he looked up at me, and because of the respect that I'd forged with Marvin at recess for a couple of years, he didn't need anything more than hearing from Carl that I was proud of him. He didn't go shout it around all the boys. He just carried that thing and walked away with a great sense of satisfaction. Rewards are great. But sometimes the greatest rewards in this life are what I'm titling this message today, Secret Rewards. We're starting today three consecutive weeks in the Sermon on the Mount where we're actually going through the rest of the summer in the Sermon on the Mount, but this week, the next week, and the following week all deal with rewards. And this is going to be so much fun. Because some of you have underestimated what God wants to do in your life. Some of you have sold God short. Some of us have believed that all the reward we need is that we're going to be with God for eternity. I get that. I understand it. I've passed theological exams about that reality. But there is more to it than that. God designed us to run in such a way as to win the prize. The unblushing rewards of God found in Scripture According to C.S. Lewis, he said, it would appear that we've settled for too little, not shot for too much in our Christian faith. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, we jump into four verses today. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. We're going to break down the the consequences of this passage here in a little bit but let me just state this point right now and just soak this up we don't talk enough about the rewards of god we just don't we don't the rewards of god are replete david jeremiah has been going through a phenomenal end time study here as of late and he has been doing a deep dive studying the scriptures for all the rewards of eternity I'm just going to give you five that he lists right from, starting with 1 Corinthians 9. The first crown he calls is the victor's crown. It's this crown that's going to be awarded to those who discipline their minds through the study of God's word and prayer. And there's a victor's crown. And yes, there's going to be such joy when we receive that crown. Those of us that are disciplined, that will throw it down at the feet of Jesus. But even that throwing it down will give us great joy. The second crown is the crown of rejoicing, which will be given to those who have led others to Christ, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Another crown is the crown of righteousness, will be given to those who have a longing for the Lord Jesus, who look for Jesus' return with anticipation and expectation. Did you know that just being hungry for Jesus to come back puts a crown on our head? The fourth crown is the crown of life placed on those who have endured and triumphed over trial and temptation and persecution, even to the point of martyrdom. 
The names of those people are found in Hebrews chapter 11, but in James 1.12 we find that promise, and in Revelation 2.10 we find that promise, the crown of life, and that crown will be thrown down at the feet of Jesus. But you'll receive it. A fifth crown, David Jeremiah highlights it, love his teachings on this so much, is the crown of glory awarded to the faithful shepherds and the people of God and to the Christian leaders found in 1 Peter 5, 4. Are we looking forward to the rewards of God? But in this passage in Matthew 6, we find something very different, really different. These rewards that are spoken of here are ones of immediacy, not in the future. Because Jesus says, these rewards are here for you, but something can cost them or put them at risk in a big way. What is the context of this passage? If we look at Matthew 6, and let me just, if you've got your Bible open, that would be great, but if you look around the context of this, you're going to find that after we go through these three messages about the rewards of giving to the needy and praying and fasting, those are the, those are the three kind of reward areas that we're going to see, then Jesus goes into this, don't stare up, store up treasures on earth, give it away. And then he goes on to the promise that we don't need to be anxious about anything the reason sometimes the stuff of this world sticks to our hands or sticks to the emotion of our soul is that we've not believed that God is truly our Jehovah Jireh our provider and God wants to free us from that so what is the direct reward of this passage what is the direct reward that is being spoken of here by Jesus. I want to tell you this. I believe that the most direct reward is overwhelming joy. Let me be really clear with this. The Lord has done something really cool in my heart about the study of the Word that has been amazing. Jim Coakley is one of our elders here. He's here today, and he's an Old Testament prophet, Moody. And Jim would tell you this today. That the Old Testament are incredible teachings all pointing to the Messiah. That Jesus is coming. Jesus spoke words in the Gospels. We find the last teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who reads and applies these words or hears and applies these words will be like a person who built his house on a rock. The winds come, beat against it, but it will not fall. Those that hear these words and don't apply them to their life are going to be people that the same storms come, but they've got no staying power and they crumble. Let me be very clear. The Old Testament is written to point people to the Messiah. Jesus came and gave his teachings. Now I want to give you a different angle on the epistles and all the books that are written thereafter. I believe that the books that are written thereafter are pointing back to the message of Jesus, explaining how to live life in the new kingdom according to Jesus. A big epiphany I've had in the last couple of weeks while I've been away. I now believe, and I told my bride this this morning, I believe it's incumbent on Pastor Carl whenever I'm teaching an epistle to point back to the corollary passage that Jesus spoke because everything that's being fleshed out in the epistles was already spoken by Jesus 
And all they're doing, all Paul's doing in his letters is putting flesh to the bones. And I want to explain this to you because this is very important. Uh, some people have said you should only read the red letters of Jesus and pitch the rest. No, there's ample evidence for why all the scriptures have made it into the canon or the collection of scripture. Ample evidence. But remember this. The epistles point back to the teachings of Jesus. The Old Testament pointed to the teachings of Jesus. It all hinges on this God-man Jesus who came to earth to save our soul. So what does the Word of God do for us? I want to tell you that we estimate in the year 68, or closely thereabout, the book of 1 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written to Timothy, who was finding himself pastoring a group of people, listen close, pastoring a group of people in Ephesus, who were getting their feet under him, learning out how to live this new kingdom life and all that Jesus had spoken. All that Jesus had spoken was already a vast oral tradition. This is why we get four Gospels shortly thereafter. But Paul was telling Timothy, this is how you help people live in the new kingdom. Now that's a lot of setup for this, but I want to give you what I find in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that I think illuminates what it is to be a person that is generous and not stingy in this world today and how to live with real victory because we've got to talk about God's rewards. Listen to the rewards that are spoken of when Paul tells Timothy, admonish, teach, encourage these people, Timothy. Listen to what he says. I'm just going to read it to you. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 to 10. Listen. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with those we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, be careful, not money itself. A lot of monies are leveraged really well by wealthy people in a way that doesn't rob contentment. But make no mistake about it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see this everywhere. You might even see it in your own heart at times. It is through this, this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. So isn't this awesome? The Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount speech. And now the Apostle Paul is challenging Timothy to help the church in Ephesus understand what it means, the rewards of God. And I, I'm going to just give you this right now. I believe the rewards of God for not letting stuff, I'm giving you away a punchline right now, for not letting stuff stick to our hands or stick to our souls of this earth is joy, contentment, and the avoidance of deep pain. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. Matthew 6, verse 2, Jesus said thus, 
when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. This would have been to maybe start a fast. I'm fasting and I'm giving away dollars. He said, don't do it. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Here's the point. Here's the big idea. Being flashy with your giving puts your rewards at risk. So God wants to reward us joy, contentment, but don't be flashy with your giving. This is why I'm so pumped to be pastoring 180 Chicago because I see a genuine humility. We told a group of of ambassadors that's what we call our volunteers here because they're ambassadors for christ and thank you you put jesus on display in a big way ambassadors and we just told them this is the joy of ministering here my wife poured out her heart this morning right here in front of the stage that we there's a joy of serving here that is unlike any church we've been a part of and it's because there's genuine humility and there's the desire to not be seen by man, but to glorify God. And that is rich. Now, can I be this bold with you? Flashy giving is rewarded with the praise of man, and that's where it stops. That's where it stops. Church building projects are a blast. Some people don't like them, I love them. Are we doing a building project? No, don't freak out. Some of you are like, oh no, we got a big announcement here. No, we're not doing that. To build downtown Chicago of any consequence would be many millions of dollars. Uh, are we praying that God would have someone give us a place that we could then build out? Yeah. Join us in prayer for that. But we are believing that God is in the business of stretching us and rewarding us in ways that we can never imagine. Church building projects are one of the greatest ways to see God's people do something amazing, to take inanimate objects of building and to watch people give to something that for many of them, they will never live long enough to see the full effect of what it can do. Now, do building projects run amok at times? They can, but I've seen them done so well. And when we started to move to Alaska, we started, when we got to Alaska, God started a bit of a, an awakening, a bit of a revival to the point where we were meeting in a gymnasium a little bit bigger than this, and we started with two services, one on Saturday night, one on Sunday, and God began to bless, and people started coming in and coming in and coming in, and we couldn't. We couldn't stop. The more we preached the gospel, the more they came. It was the most astounding thing to the point where we had two Saturday night services and then we had to start on Sunday. Ready for this? These were our Sunday services. Nine, 11, one, three, and five. And we had the same worship team for the whole bit. And the worship team, we, we, we got them caught. And so after we, they'd get done leading worship, I'd get up to preach, they'd go upstairs, they'd catch a nap. We had people bringing in breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Dinner the night before, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for Sundays for our whole worship team and all those that were serving throughout the day. But it was a rush. You couldn't keep people away. People wanted to be on the teams. They're like, sign me up for all day Saturday and all day Sunday. 
because the Spirit of God was moving in power. But we had to build on a little area because we didn't even have a place for people to greet. And the cold months were coming in Alaska. And when it gets cold in Alaska, it gets cold. See, you guys are sharp, man. <laughs> and so we had to get a little building project going, and we put the word out that we're going to build this big addition out in front just until we can get located to a new place. And it was awesome because people started responding in a big way. I was thinking about using a couple of different contractors, and one just happened to ask for a meeting for me out of the, with me out of the blue. And I said, this is great. I'd like to bring one of our elders. He said, yeah, that'd be super. So we sat down at this meeting, and there was a moment in this meeting that everything changed with this project. You want to know when it was? It's when I'm talking with this man who's an incredible general contractor, and he looks at me, and he says, Carl, I'm so excited about what God's doing here. He said, I want to offer this to you. And he slides his check across the table. And he says, and I want to be over the design and how it's going to go down. And the Holy Spirit told me, don't take it. And I reached out. And it had to have been God because everything in natural man would have taken the sizable check and said, thank you. But I slid it back across the table and I said, that's not the way we're going to roll here on this thing. And I tried my best not to shame him in any way. But I said, you, you hold on to that check. And God in that moment gave me an idea that maybe I should use the other contractor and it went swimmingly well I need you to hear my heart on this sentence I'm about to give you the funny thing is that when we are flashy with our giving we get the attention of people we intended but we never get the affection of people we desire Matthew 6, verses 3 through 4, Jesus goes on to build on this theme, and he says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Hey, that's something, isn't it? Jesus uses hyperbole all the time. There's no historical context for this except that you are challenged by the Savior of the world that when you give, it's so whoop that whoop doesn't have a clue. It's just a crazy thing. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the point. Being secretive when giving locks in God's rewards for you. I'm going to say this in a moment, but I want to say it right now. Does this mean that if anybody finds out anything, no, this is a heart attitude. This is an attitude of the heart that says, I'm not here for show, I'm here for go. God will bless that. 
joy, contentment, and the avoidance of pain. That's what Paul told Timothy. He says, warn them. Don't let them get caught up in this stuff that's going to rip them off. I realized this little verse and this little point one Christmas Eve. I was a newlywed, and my bride and I were driving to her folks' home for Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. We're driving through the high desert of Oregon. It's cold. And we were really hungry. And so my bride said, man, let's just duck in here to this, like, greasy spoon up the road. And we're like, all right, let's go into this greasy spoon. So we walked into this greasy spoon, and there's a waitress there that it's just great and she's like Merry Christmas we're like yeah we're coming here we get we're dying of hunger you got any good grub she goes oh I'd recommend this plate that just throws the skillets in front of you you know they make a noise when she drops them on the table that kind of a place just awesome little greasy dive I like to call them affectionately choking pukes it's a great descriptor <laughs> for them I guess that's an Alaskan term apparently so we, we drop, drop into this little dive, and, and we're eating away. And I, we look around, me and my bride, and we see these three guys sitting over here. And it's very apparent to us this is Christmas for them. And we're like, shoot. We can't take these guys with us. Jeanne's parents would rightly freak out. Three dudes we don't know coming home for Christmas. I never met them before. So we sat there, and we're talking, and my bride said, Bub, now, you need to know something. I'm a youth pastor making 450 a month. I'm building decks on the side for a side hustle, and I'm a full-time student. And we're barely making it. And she said, let's, let's get their lunch. But let's not tell them about it. Forget what the cost was. I peeled out, I think, a couple of 20s, and I told the waitress, I said, hey, see these three guys? Don't tell them until we're out of here and gone, but I want you to tell them Merry Christmas from a secret Santa. We paid, we went out, we got out in the car, and we're pulling away, and Janine said, let's watch their reaction." Pulled back in the parking lot where they couldn't see us. Pulled back in the parking lot and got a bird's eye view into the window of that greasy spoon, that beautiful choke and puke that day. <laughs> and there we saw the waitress walk up to him. And you could see, I mean, hands went in the air. It's like they're patting each other on the back. It's like, Merry Christmas, Secret Santa showed up here. Secretiveness is not to be unseen. It is the inability to touch the glory because you're too consumed with the joy of watching your gift being used. That's why I beg you to give with joy around here. You know my heart on this, guys. You know how many times I've said it. 
I don't care if it's a guy on a street. I don't care if it's some people in a greasy spoon. I don't care if it's the giving that you give here. Uh, this is what I'm asking you, please. I'm begging you, give with joy or don't give. I, I promise you, God can do more with a 20-spot given with a smile on his face than a Franklin with a grumpy face. Before I get to a final point, really a, a hard-hitting question, I want to reaffirm something that I said earlier in this service from the bottom of my heart. I'm blown away that we just came out of a warm summer month after two years of being cooped up with COVID and places to go and people to see and that you guys gave more generously in a summer June month than in the history of this church. That blows my mind. I had to ask a jit. Did you screw up the counting? <laughs> he said, no, man, I didn't screw it up. So as the team comes up here right now, because we're going to worship in these truths today, I've got a question that I'm going to ask you. Don't put it up yet. Don't put it up yet, Isaac. Hold on to it. I almost reworded this thing today because I felt like the risk of asking this question without the right spirit, you guys knowing how much I love you, could be hard. But I never want to deprive you of a hard question for the purpose of making disciples. So I intended to come in this morning and strip out one word that I had in this point, but I left it in there. And I want to preface this question by saying, with all my heart, I love you, and I want the best for you. Now you're wondering, what in the world kind of question is this? And, and here's the question. It's one Jesus answered himself. Why do some disciples of Jesus give stingily while others give generously? It's a fair question. It's a really good question. You know how much I love why questions around here, right? Because you can talk about the what and the how. This is how you give. This is how we do it now. This is how we do it now. But you can miss the bigger message like the broad side of a barn. Why do some disciples of Jesus give stingily and others give generously? I'm going to give you the answer right now and then I'm going to explain it it all boils down to belief remember here are an outworking of our belief every one of them people say oh I believe in God the degree to which we believe in God and believe that Jesus is the son of God will intensify our discipleship of Jesus it's a fact some people say, oh, their behaviors are amiss from what they really believe. No, our behaviors are always consistent with what we believe. They're always consistent with what we believe. It all boils down to belief. I'm so proud of you. 
because I don't know where you are. I, I, as pastor here, I don't see any ledgers, but I see a general cresting wave of generosity. And when I say it fires me up, you don't even know. You say, well, pastor, what do I need to believe? You will be generous when you believe that the Father is good, yes, great, and you live to please and glorify Him. You will be a generous giver when you believe the joy of watching your gift being used is a greater joy than people seeing your gift given. Yeah! And you will give generously and continue to give generously as you believe contentment can't be purchased but it can be received as you don't let the stuff of this world stick to your heart and your hands oh if you consider the unblushing promises of God it would seem sometimes that we've settled too for too too little but 180 Chicago I want to tell you Keep giving in secret with belief in a huge God who lives and delights in rewarding you. Yeah. Father, help us to live this truth. Help us to walk this truth. Help us, God, to fight off accusing spirits that want to decimate people here right now and I just want to pastor you right now conviction is good condemnation is bad and Father I praise you that in this moment right now you are at work and in these next couple of songs of praise we just give you thanks that you want to worship these truths into us to you be glory in Jesus' name.